Hey, I'm Kevin, the student pastor of Shore Church again. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. We are starting a new series called Into the Wilderness this morning. We're going to be jumping into a, a life study of Moses. Now, we cannot possibly deal with all the things that Moses did uh, and t- teaches in a, in a serious format. It would be a couple year long adventure. But we're going to hit some high points, really press into this. But this idea of into the wilderness, I think, is very profound for this moment and this time and kind of what we're dealing with. Because Moses was going into an unknown situation, not knowing what the future holds, and trying to lead the best he possibly can in that moment. And I feel like we kind of echo that in this time. We don't know what the future is really going to hold. The way things used to be, I don't really think they're going to go back to that, but I also don't know what the future is going to hold. So this, this wilderness idea of, I don't know where the trail is. And I need to figure out how to do that. So how Moses navigated that, and how I think we need to navigate that, is by first and foremost, holding on to God's hand. And so if we can keep that frame of mind as, as we push through this series, we push through this, this new season of life, um, it can really speak to us and reshape how we lead, how we love, and how we live our lives. Moses is... Really, other than Jesus, the most important person in the scripture. He is a foundational pillar of how God reveals himself, how the whole Bible is set up, how everything everything in the Old Testament really kind of flows up to Moses and out of Moses. Uh, he is central to that. The whole Jewish religion is based out of his writings of the, of, of the first five books of the Bible, of the Torah, and how that uh, that works. So this is really, really important for us understanding even the New Testament and who Jesus is. We have to understand Moses because Jesus in a lot of ways, and definitely all the apostles and, and Paul are standing on Moses' shoulders. The way in which we, when Jesus quotes scripture, when the apostles quote scripture, they're most often quoting stuff that Moses would have written um, 1,200 years before they were around. And so uh, I cannot overstate the importance of knowing who Moses is, of understanding Moses. Now, there's all kinds of stuff in society about Moses. There's there's uh, animated movies, the Charlton Heston movie. There's all these kinds of different things you can watch. But And if you grew up in church, you know a lot of the big-time stories of Moses. And those are fantastic, but I think at some point... When you're exposed to um, these little kind of cutesy Sunday school stuff of Moses, we lose the grit and the dirt and and the mess that Moses is working through and moving through. And so we're going to kind of re-find the grittiness of Moses. Um, A lot of Moses' life, a lot of Exodus is rated R. Uh, It is uh, smack you in the face. Um, kind of a, a, a messy, messy, messy type of of moment in the scripture. And if we can recapture that, I think we can identify even more with Moses. Because Moses is real easy to be like, oh, that was Moses. 
Uh, it was Moses, and we kind of hold him in such high regard that we don't relate to him. And so in this series of Into the Wilderness, I want to relate really, really tightly to who Moses is and how he's leading well in these moments and how he fails in these moments. And I think that can really help us find a little certainty, find a path, find a, a way towards God, even when we're facing uncertainty and frustration and that, that unease in our life, in that, that tension Our main thought for today, I'm just going to keep on repeating this over and over uh, again. It was true for Moses, and it's true for us as well. You cannot control the situation you are placed in. You can control what you do with it. You cannot control the situation you are placed in. You can control what you do with it. We have mobility, right? We can drive, we can move, we can pack up everything in a U-Haul and move across the country. However... The situation that we, we find ourselves in, we're really kind of just parachuted in. We have no idea if we're going to get hung up on a tree, if we are going to... You don't know if, you know, when you're a baby, you don't get to go, oh, man, I hope my parents are rich. I hope I'm a trust fund kid. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose if you're going to be an orphan. You cannot control the situation you are placed into. You can control what you do with it. That's what is under your control. Here is my environment. Here are the things that I'm placed in. What am I going to bring to the situation to do the best I possibly can in this moment? And for us, I think this is incredibly important for us to start wrapping our heads around because there's a lot of of wishing and, and wanting. You know, everybody plays the, the game of, well, if I won the lottery, this is what I'd buy and this is what I'd do. And, and we kind of spend a lot of time uh, just kind of daydreaming about those things. But in reality, we should be going, okay, this is how I'm going to change my present situation. This is how I'm going to deal with the things I'm, I'm dealing with in this moment. This is how I'm going to address my family situation, my work situation, even my own personal emotional situation, so that I can lead well, live well, love well in these moments. Because we cannot control where we are placed. We can control what we do with it. There's a lie that we kind of believe, we buy into. It's if we work just a little bit harder, we can gain control. Now, humanity's bought into that for years and years. If, if, I just, if I just push a little bit harder. Now, hard work is awesome, wonderful. It's a work ethic. It's something you should be striving for. However, this lie of I will gain control over my own destiny if I just work a little bit harder, that's not, at some point that fails. At some point that will work. You cannot stop the earth from spinning if you work hard. Like that just, unless you're Superman and you can go backwards real fast. Like that doesn't, just doesn't work that way. But we start believing it. And so if I work harder right now, I will outwork COVID. If I, if I work a little bit harder now, I will, I will outdo the economy. Like those are huge meta forces that no matter our work ethic, we can't control these things. It's like gravity. We cannot control how long the virus is going to last. We cannot control the economy. We cannot control the views of people that are different than you. Those are out of our control. And the quicker we realize some of these things, the healthier we can start to get. Because my anxiety level over things that I can't control, that I want to control, spikes, and then I actually ignore the things that I actually can control and bring health to. And so we examined ourselves and we started looking at, what am I stressing out about? Are there things that I actually have a 
a chance of affecting? Or am I doing the best I possibly can to affect the things I can actually control? I can't control how I speak. I can control how I love. And I can control how I persevere through tough times. Those are things I can control, and they're worth controlling. They're worth pressing into. And this lesson is taught to Moses over and over and over and over again. If you examine Moses' life, he is placed in such an, a weird, predicament, terrible, horrible, no-good situation. He is in a spot repeatedly placed in them that if he succumbs to these outside anxieties and influences, they will crush him. And he continually, and God has to remind him that, hey, I'm in charge, you're not. You control what you can control. I'll control the things that I can control, which is everything, and then we'll work out okay. But Moses, just like any other man, is like, you know what? I want to control your stuff, God. God's like, you stay with your job description. That's a little above your pay pay grade, Moses. This is Moses, right? Second most important person in the whole scripture. And God basically tells him repeatedly, in the Bible, hey, hey, that's above your pay grade. You, you stay where you're supposed to stay. I'll stay where I'm supposed to stay. We'll talk about it later. And for us, we don't want to hear that. I want to order God around. I want him to be my short order cook. I want him to do what I want. But instead, maybe I should be concentrating on controlling what I can control, how I love, how I speak how I endure, instead of the things I have no business controlling in the first place. All right, we're going to explore and have fun with this new series. Uh, feel free to ask questions as you read. Um, I would encourage you to read through Exodus as we go about this. Exodus is going to have some weird stuff, um, some laws put in, and some, some interesting happenstance, uh, cultural context stuff that you may not understand, and that's okay. Um, if you have questions, you want to know, like, what does that actually mean? What is going on there? Feel free to Facebook us, um, email us. I absolutely love pressing into the scripture with you and trying to answer and bring clarity to some of these questions. And also, uh, some of these fantastic questions that you have actually directly informs how I preach on a Sunday morning because I know if you have that question, then some, probably five, six other people have that same question, then we can start that, um, that conversation even here in a Sunday morning type atmosphere. Uh, so please, 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 um, if you have questions about Exodus, you have questions about Moses, bring them. And uh, if I don't answer them personally, uh, they may be something that's putting in uh, to the message on Sunday morning. Exodus, this keystone of the Torah, it's the law that God gives Moses to kind of set up the Hebrew people. This is how you are supposed to act. As you form into a nation, Genesis is all about this people group that's following Abraham and these guys around the patriarchal society, and they're kind of wandering around. It's a small group of people. By the time we find ourselves in the book of Exodus, now we are actually a nation tribe. We are a numerous people. We are enough to to kind of be a chosen people. And Exodus is really the start of that. How does this look? What What does this mean? What does this look like? And so as we see these people needing a leader and people uh, transitioning from this, 
the slave group of, of Egypt into following God and then following Moses as God's prophet in this. We see Moses. And you have to start asking the question, who is this guy? Who is he to lead these people? Well, who he actually is is a deeply flawed leader. He battles with depression. He has self-esteem issues. He's a murderer. And he's a control freak that struggles with delegation. Just who you want to be your leader, right? But this is who Moses is. We see it. We see who, what he's struggling with, and we see the frustrations that he's got going on in his lives, and we have to, in his life, and we have to look at it and go, whoa, 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 this is the leader that God chooses? It's the leader that God chooses. Because he also has a bunch of great qualities, but he's a deeply flawed leader. If I'm, I'm pointing back to the flaws of Moses and that we actually get to see them, it's one of the beautiful things of Scripture. If I'm writing a book that I want to be the hallmark of of, of the religion I'm starting, I'm not going to say the main character has got all kinds of messes and he's a screw-up and a murderer and all these other things. No, I'm going to kind of put a little, a niner, a, I'm going to polish that a little bit more. Instead, we get Moses and we get the realness and we get the rawness of who Moses is. That's one of the things I love about the scriptures. We're not trying to sugarcoat the leaders and the men and the women that God call to be followers and to be leaders and to be important people in the shaping of how people understand who God is. Because the main character isn't the men and the women that fill the pages of the Bible. The main character is God. He's the one that is perfect, and all the guys and gals are going to be a little messy along the way. But I love that the scripture shows Moses' messes. I love that the scripture shows that he, he's got issues, that he's got problems, he's got frustrations, and he, he loses his temper, and he, he's got all, all these pent-up things going on. Because he's, as he's leading, as he's trying to love, as he's trying to, to do this best he possibly can, he stubs his toe, he trips, he twists his ankle, he falls, he gets mad, he angry cries with the snot and the tears coming down. Like he, he experiences the whole range of emotions, and it makes it extremely relatable. Because Moses leads his people into the wilderness. And as we look at our lives, as we look at this time in our life, there's a lot of unknowns that we're going to be leading into. There's a lot of stuff we're going to be leading into. And I think this is a leader that we need to examine and pull from as we go about our lives. All right, open with me to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. This is the origin story of Moses. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22, and we'll go into uh, chapter 2. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. 
She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Okay, this, we know this story. You probably know this story. You've watched cartoons of it. It's cute, right? You've got a little basket. If you've been in uh, Sunday school or anything, you probably made little baskets, and they'll put a little baby Moses in it, and, and depending on how creative you're going to get, you might have, like, floated a, a, something around in, in, in water. Let me, let me tell you, I have three children. Do you know how desperate I would have to be to try to protect that child when I thought it was a good idea to put them in a basket and put them in the Nile River? Do you know what else lives in the Nile River? Crocodiles. Big old stinking crocodiles live in the Nile River. Now, I understand it's a major world, uh, thoroughfare for, uh, for the Egyptian Empire and they, where they bathed and got their water and they would have been familiar with it. But I'm thinking, no way, no how am I putting a three-month-old baby in a basket and saying, hey, take your chances, kid. That is the desperation. This is like an Anne Frank-type moment, right? We, get, we see Anne Frank's diary. We get to read that, and we go, oh, my goodness. Think of the desperation in her life as she, as she dealt with that. This is what's going on here. This should break our hearts. Instead, we're like, oh, how cute it is because it's a baby. It's a baby that a mom's heart is so broken that the only possible chance that she has for this baby to live is to try to waterproof a basket and place it and go, I hope you don't get eaten, kid. I hope somebody finds you, kid. I hope you stay put long enough that I I can get you again. This is gritty. This is nasty. This is, oh my goodness. They are, we are finding ourselves in the middle of a genocide. That is where Exodus starts. I, I gloss, I'm guilty of glossing over it because I know how the story is going to end. I know the, 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 the twists and the turns and the excitement that goes through it. Moses, from his earliest days, finds himself in a genocide where all the other baby boys are being murdered, thrown into the Nile River without the protection of a basket of papyrus. That is where we find ourselves. That is where the story begins. So if we do not start reading Exodus with the desperation, with the heartache, with the churning of our stomach at the the nastiness that's going on, we miss setting the stage for the rest of the book and the rest of what, how God interacts in this moment. Moses, from his earliest days, he can't control what he's placed in. He can do the best with what he's got in this moment. And it's a story that's going to be repeated over and over and over again in throughout Exodus. It's a gritty story. 
It's an R-rated story. But if we can take away some of the fluff that we've given it, the cuteness that we've given it, maybe we can start to interact with it. Maybe we keep it a little less off in the distance and make it a little more real and closer to our our story. So through this, Moses only gets, he grows up and he, he does, a, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but Moses in this moment, he relates to us, just like in the beginning of, of this is real. This is a real tough circumstance. This is a real hardship issue. He's not just got everything given to him from the very beginning. He is a victim of, of genocide, and through some amazing, amazing, wondrous uh, circumstances, he is he is saved and been able to uh, to work the system. I love that Moses's mom gets paid for raising her own son. Like that is a beautiful turn of events. But not all the other little Jewish boys were so lucky. Moses, as he ages, finds himself leading in troubled times. Surrounded by troubled people and overcoming a troubled past. And you in this moment may find yourself in troubled times. I think we can agree we are. We're surrounded by troubled people. I think we're surrounded by troubled people. And you may, through this time, have to overcome a troubled past. And so if those speak to you, you understand them at all, you can start to say, yeah, Moses has got something to teach me in this moment. Exodus has got something to teach me in this moment. And this is where we're going to go for the rest of these, these weeks up into Easter, is figuring out how, how this, this works for me. How do I become a better leader? How do I become a better follower of God through this? How do I live better? How do I love better? How do I experience the redemption that God has that he showed Moses, but also will show me? Moses can speak into our lives in a powerful way. Moses is redeemed out of the reeds of of genocide in a perilous, dangerous moment and set on a path that challenges the most powerful empire of ancient times. Egypt is not just a... Don't think of Egypt at this time like we think of Egypt today. Egypt is the superpower. It's the, the most important powerful country, nation the world had ever seen for thousands and thousands of years. And Moses is born into that moment. His life will teach us through his successes and his failures. You cannot control what situation you're placed into. You can control what you do with it. Now, one of the beautiful things in this is I love Moses' sister. She already figures this out. She's probably just a a young teenager, a young girl, and she's doing the whole like hiding in the reeds, seeing if the the basket's going to float away. I don't know what her role in that would have been. If how she had like a a stick to like, whoa, don't go out that far. Uh, How how that all worked. I I, I play those that in my mind, um, just trying to figure it out. But I don't know what she's doing. She's eavesdropping. She's wanted to see what was going to happen. Was she crying? Uh, What what, what was was this going on? 
But Miriam seizes this opportunity. She cannot control the meta-narrative that's going on and the whole nation-state's going on. But what she can do is maximize her opportunity in this moment. And the Bible is filled, filled with men and women who see a crazy circumstance and go, you know what? I can do something important here. You think of Esther, uh, a thousand years later, I was born for such a time as this. This, is, this world is crazy, but in this moment, in this time, I can do something. Miriam is the same way. Right now, I can do something. I was like, ma'am, would you, uh, would you like me to find you a nurse for this little baby? Well, yes, I would, little girl. That would be wonderful. I'll get right on it. You know, that, that whole like waiter, uh, waitress, the hostess thing that, that Miriam's doing is absolutely uh, just mind-boggling to me. She's like, oh, well, hello, I see you found a baby. Uh, it's a beautiful little baby boy. Would you like me to find a nurse for you? And she's taking up on it. Now, I don't know if there was like a wink-wink, like, ah, you must be the sister. We don't know. We don't, know. We don't get enough. Chapter uh, 1 and 2 in Exodus could be, oh, 10 chapters, and we wouldn't get enough. We wouldn't get enough of understanding how this whole thing worked out. And, uh, but what this beautiful thing is, is she takes advantage of the situation. And this beautiful nugget, you get this girl saying, oh, there's my, she doesn't start crying. You can't have my baby, my baby brother. Just, I'm going to take advantage of this. And wherever we're at, in the moment that we are in this moment, instead of bemoaning the world structures that we can't take your hands off my kid, Take my hands off my little brother. That, that was the, probably a natural reaction. Wait, how do I control my reaction to it? How do I control what I do with it? How can we work this out? And this is a beautiful lesson, just even in this first chapter. Because the scripture, I'm telling you, over and over and over again, people are shown terrible circumstances, rough things. And the people of God say, I can't control the meta-narrative. But this little spot, how I love, how I lead, how I persevere, I can control that part. And she's following in that footstep. You cannot control the situation you're placed into. You can control what you do with it. In rabbinical teaching, um, the fun word is pseudopigraphal, uh, outside of the scripture, um, there is a tradition of Moses being taken into the uh, Pharaoh's household being raised in, in tutored and whatnot. And if you've watched um, Prince of Egypt or if you've watched some of those cartoons, they kind of um, press into that idea. There really isn't any biblical narrative for that except for uh, one sentence here where it says, uh, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Now, uh, Pharaoh's daughter is actually prob- probably... Um, kind of a, uh, the daughter, I mean, she's not very high on the, the, the scale here, okay? She's probably the daughter of a, of a harem um, worker. And so she's uh, got status, but not a lot of status. So we don't know uh, that uh, what that would have looked like. Now, a Jewish historian, Josephus, um, in the first century AD, wrote down that Moses was, had all this, this lineage. And uh, we don't know if that's, a propaganda he was doing to uh, build the Jewish, you know, yeah, uh, just mindset in that, or if it's the head, other tradition that, that came down. He's writing that 1,200 years or 1,300 years after um, Moses had, had come and gone on this 
planet. So we don't know what that looks like. But the, the rabbinical tradition is that Moses grew up in the Pharaoh household and even was trained to be a leader, trained to be a general. Uh, one of the traditions that Josephus talks about is that he was a general, um, and Moses was a general in charge of putting down a rebellion at one point. Now, what flows with that, with the interesting part of that, is, is Moses later on shows leadership potential. He shows that he's been uh, taught something about this that he's more educated than his normal Hebrew brothers and sisters. And so there's this this tendency to go, okay, there might be something there. It's just very interesting. I wish we had more. Like I said, I wish chapter 2 was like 10 chapters long and we could understand what was going on there. Also, the other thing of him being brought into the Pharaoh's house and what that all could have meant um, that I find extremely interesting is that later when we're doing the plagues and uh, when, when Moses has been pushed out and comes, uh, runs away from Egypt and comes back in, if you've never read Exodus, I just ruined part of the story for you. Um, but if you left and when he leaves and he comes back in, he has access to Pharaoh. He keeps on getting invited to the court of Pharaoh. This is the most important um, political figure in the world at this time. Like, the most powerful. This is like going to the president and be like, hey, What's going on? How are we doing? And Moses, throughout Exodus, just seems to keep on walking in the White House, basically. And if there was no relationship there, how in the world is he getting this access? Um, so there, that, for me, uh, reading it, like, oh, but he's God's anointed. Well, yeah, he's God's anointed, but God's anointed still can't just knock on Caesar's door and be like, hello, let me in. I want to talk to you about letting, you know, all your workforce um, go. So there has to be some sort of relationship. He has to be some sort of credibility in here. He has to have something he's drawing from, or he probably just would have been killed on sight. So uh, that's always been uh, kind of interesting to me as we've, we've dealt with Exodus. And maybe that answers some questions. That may actually bring up a whole lot more questions for you, and that'll be fun to wrestle with uh, as we, we go through here. Um, but Moses in this moment, just throughout that, he cannot control what he's placed in. He can't control if he's in a reed baby. He can't control if he's in Pharaoh's court. He can't control what that looks like. But what he can do is make the most of that moment. He can say, oh, you know what? I'm at school. I'm going to learn the most I possibly can. You know what? I'm here. I'm going to do the best I possibly can. This is what he can't control. I can control how I love, how I speak, how I persevere in these moments. And for us, this is the major lesson that we can learn from, from young Moses is, what am I doing in this time? Am I begrudging how, oh, how terrible the world is or how cold it's outside? Guess what? Us complaining about how cold it is outside is never going to change how cold it is outside. But what I can control is how do I insulate my house? What do I, how do I treat my heater? How do I do these things? How do I bundle up? How do I, how do I control all the things that I can control so that my family is taken care of? How I live, how I love, how I lead. If we examine the stressors in our life and the things that are maybe making us uh, frustrated in life, what are they? Are they things that we can control or the things that we can't control? And if it's a bunch of meta stuff, a bunch of things that we have no, no chance of ever controlling, maybe it's time for us to let that go. Because we're spending so much energy, so much time with the things that we can't control, like the virus, the economy, that we miss out on having an impact on the things that we can control. 
Moses steps into this uncertain future. He steps into this moment. And even before he is old enough to do anything, he is named Moses, which uh, actually is kind of a popular Egyptian name at this time, but the, the ending of that Moses in Hebrew means to be drawn out, which fits his, he's drawn out of the Nile. He's picked up, he's taken out. But this repeated imagery of being drawn out in Moses' life repeats itself over and over and over again. He's drawn out of the Nile. He's drawn out of Egypt. He gets drawn out of depression. He's drawn out of bondage. He's drawn out of genocide. This is what, he do, what, what God does with, with Moses. He draws him out. As we press into this idea, and we press into Exodus and Numbers in the, in the next few weeks, I wonder, what is God wanting to draw us out of? Maybe God wants to draw you out of a depression. Maybe God wants to draw you out of a, a bad situation, a, a terrible work environment. Maybe he wants to draw you out of anxiety. Maybe he wants to draw you out of, I, I don't know what he wants to draw you out of, but in this moment, in this time, if we switch our ideas from getting so frustrated and and, and caught up in the things that we actually can't control. And follow Moses' example of, in this time, in this moment, I'm going to control what I can control. How I love, how I live, how I lead, how I persevere. What does that look like for my life? I'm very excited about this Into the Wilderness series. I've been thinking about doing a Moses series for years now. And I'm very excited just to jump fully into it here the next eight weeks and I can't wait for you. If you have questions about Exodus, the, the feeling behind that is I expect you to be reading along in the scripture because if you don't have questions about Exodus, I know you didn't read it, all right? It is a confusing book. It has confusing stuff. It has things like, what just happened? Those are fantastic questions to do. Send those in. I want to answer them. I want to, or try to answer them. The answer from me might be, I have no clue because I wasn't there. Um, but we're going we're gonna to try our best to do that. As we jump into, into the wilderness, I think our lives will parallel Moses in this time. There is an amazing opportunity for wonderful good to build the kingdom of God, to speak into people's lives, to love well, to live well, to persevere through all this stuff. And if we can tap into what Moses and what God's trying to teach us through Moses, I think we can be incredibly effective in this next season of life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this time. Thank you for um, the example of Moses. And Lord, as we work through maybe our own issues and our own stuff in this season, our own frustrations, our own heartache, our own disappointments, Lord, that we would be humble enough to lay them at your feet. Would you help us discern what we can control and what we can't control? What's causing us to stay back? What's causing us not to buy all the way in? What's causing us not to jump fully in, to be fully present with maybe our family or in our work environment or our friends or our community? Or would you make it blatantly clear to us how we can be the best followers of you 
we possibly can be. Lord, we ask for your anointing. We ask for your touch. We ask for your divine hand on how we live our life. In this moment and in this time, there is so much opportunity to love people well and to show them your grace, your redemption, and your kingdom. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe. And don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.